Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Liberty and the Law, the podcast series that examines the critical elements of a strong legal defense in criminal cases. Join respected attorney James Dore for this lively discussion on the rights of criminal defendants and the important role defense attorneys play in our legal system. Well, hello, everybody. Jim Mitchell with you again on Liberty and the Law. Um, each month we get together to talk about uh, different aspects of uh, legal process, uh, institution, laws, court cases, uh, any number of things uh, regarding uh, criminal defense, uh, criminal activity, uh, and the courts in general. Uh, with me, of course, is James Dore, attorney from Lavelle Law. Today we're going to take a look at some new information coming out of the uh, United States Department of Justice, some new policies, and we'll explain those a little bit. So. Um, a little scheduling uh, problems for us this weekend, so I'm glad we were able to find the time to get together. Yeah, I agree, Jim. Uh, this is a, a fun little topic, a nice uh, current subject we can talk about, and I'm glad we can get together, Jim. Yeah, so I'm going to refer to um, an article we shared that uh, had some recent rulings by the Justice Department. We're going to talk about those. But before we talk about the the specifics of that, it made me curious. You know, let's let's talk about the Justice Department. What what role, if any, do they have in actually making laws? Well, they can always suggest policy. Now, this is the difference between a memo announcement here within the executive branch uh, directing agencies under their umbrella, and this is a guidance policy of how you shall conduct business. It's separate than or different than what would be considered like a normal law that's passed where the legislative branch, you know, it could be state level, federal level, but we're talking federal right now. So the legislative branch would pass the statute. The you know, chief executive president would sign that, and that becomes a law. But in this situation, we're dealing with a policy change or a policy clarification, I guess, or change, whatever they want to view it as, as to the standard operating procedures concerning uh, use of uh, no-knock uh, warrants and uh, chokeholds and that sort of thing. So it's, a, it's an announcement, a policy announcement here. And you mentioned, you know, the, the umbrella, uh, the, those who are um, below the Justice Department. And, and what does that entail? Is that, um, uh, you know, various uh, state attorney, federal attorney, who, who sort of reports up into the Justice Department? Well, it's, it starts with the president because this is an executive branch. But there's some okay. independence because the president doesn't do everyday law enforcement stuff like the Department of Justice would do or the other the other tasks. So this this is still executive branch, but the attorney general sits at the top of that branch, um, and and this directive through the uh, the deputy attorney general was directed to the other branches that sit uh, the attorney general in the Department of Justice. So that would include the FBI, uh, you know, the ATF, um, Bureau of Prisons, the U.S. Marshals. You know, U.S. Marshals they do a lot of arrests. So this is clearly you know in their area. So. It, it go, and it goes to the U.S. attorneys, so the prosecutors for the federal government. They're all aware of this policy, and they're all expected to follow this policy and, and, and um, to the T. Well, let's talk about these policy recommendations then, um, several of them that were announced recently. And they, some of them fall very much within the topics we tend to cover here on liberty and the law and um, constitutional impact and, of course, impact in the courts. The first of them dealt with uh, using chokeholds to retain, uh, restrain suspects, obviously uh, very much a hot topic. What, what did this ruling state in light of recent events? 
I think the, the clarification in the policy is chokeholds are not to be used unless they're they've been authorized in advance through one of the I'll just I'll just call it one of the chiefs one of whoever supervises mm-hmm. um, the, the 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 individuals going out to make these arrests so your officers and agents um, so they have to get approval from their bosses if they want to deviate from this no knock policy which is saying they're they're just saying the no knock policy where you you know where you're not knocking on a door and reasonably announcing who you are as a federal agent, why you're there. Um, there's under certain circumstances, you know, the officers just want to break down a door because they're worried about personal safety and, and loss of evidence and other key uh, considerations. So this policy, it spells out specifically that if you intend, one of these agents intends to uh, utilize a no-knock warrant, that they have to get authorization ahead of time, or there's some wiggle room if there's, you know, reasonable necessity and, and reasonable belief kind of stuff that, um, you know, it gets around it. But if, if, if the officer, well, we can get in that a little bit, but the officer, you know, they can, you know, get around this if circumstances you know, dictate on the ground, but they still have to notify their bosses when they get back, I guess. So that's after the fact, they can still <laughs> notify it. It's kind of you know, approval after the fact. Um, and, and I see that phrase, no-knock warrant. Is there really a warrant involved in this case then, or? Um, oh, yeah. Or oh, is something it's happening under on the Fourth ground? It's under the okay. Fourth Amendment okay. protocol. A warrant would be issued by a you know, judicial magistrate of some sort. Uh, so, yes, there is a, definitely a warrant, and it comes down to that nuts and bolts thing. You know, Because, Jim, we do a lot of our podcasts about you know, the Fourth Amendment requirements and reasonableness and seeking warrants and that sort of thing, and when there's exceptions to this. Well, in this case, there is a warrant. You know, there's, there's, it's been authorized. This action has been authorized by a judge saying, you can get this evidence, go to this residence, whatever it is, right? It's been, it's been authorized in advance, but this comes down to the nuts and bolts of how do we execute this warrant. Okay. And is that something then that um, in, in, in the court now as a defense attorney, um, you know, in the past you might have been able to say, hey, this warrant was not executed, it was a violation of, of the Constitution because they, they didn't execute the warrant properly. Does this make it a little bit harder for a defense attorney if, if this type of warrant is granted? I, I think it's more from a safety standpoint, the policy change, rather than, I mean, a stated, you know, the stated goal is, is, it, is it a safety standpoint of both officers and those having the warrants executed against them. Um, I don't think it's necessarily a and it's no knock, not necessarily something I could use to my advantage. It can, it can, right? It can happen depending on circumstances. Usually, what happens is a certain amount, a, a certain action has been authorized, right? You're allowed to search this resident for the following items, right? Mm-hmm. So typically, what we'll say is, is officers going beyond the scope or searching the wrong residence by accident and still wanting to uh-huh. prosecute those people what they found. So there's other things that come in on the warrant execution thing. This is a piece of the puzzle. And you know, quite frankly, Jim, we may find we may find something from this um, violating the policy. But usually, when it happens where law enforcement violates the policy, it doesn't automatically translate into a get out of jail free card, right? It, it, it may mean some other independent action against the officer or someone comes in within the agency, but it doesn't necessarily mean that a warrant can get uh, that the warrant will be quashed or the evidence will be quashed. That it was, you know, uh, provided by that warrant. Mm-hmm. Um, well, but, we're, um, but it's an interesting angle, Jim. Yeah, and it's um, again when, when the Department of Justice, you know, puts out information like this, I sure I assume it catches everyone's attention. And um, in in the 
legal industry and the law enforcement industry, I suppose these are the type of announcements that everyone kind of takes a good hard look at. Well, I agree. Sure you understand. If you look at what Merrick Garland said, he, and this is a quote, building trust and confidence between law enforcement and the public we serve is central to our mission at the Justice Department. So that's what they're saying. It's, it's, it's you know, obviously it's got some political overtones, and I don't think Merrick Garland, that this is his highest priority right now, but, uh, you know, mm-hmm. it is what it is. Okay. Well, let's uh, continue the conversation with James Dwarf of Lavelle Law. And, um he has mentioned during this conversation, previous podcast discussions we've had, um, those are all available uh, under the Liberty and the Law podcast series um, here on Blog Talk Radio and at LavelleLaw.com. Uh, if you go to uh, James's profile page at LavelleLaw.com, you'll get information about his career, his background, as well as links to articles, videos, podcasts. And uh, there is uh, uh, plenty of opportunity to take time to listen to many of these discussions as he shares uh, great insight on a number of legal matters. Uh, the other one that uh, came out of this, James, we should talk about uh, from the Department of Justice was some guidance on the uh, ability for law enforcement officials to use choke holds to uh, retain suspects. And is that um, uh, probably not an unexpected announcement, but um, what, what does that uh, show for us in terms of uh, uh, any future activity and what that might mean? Well, if you look at what Deputy Attorney General uh, Lisa Monaco announced in her, um, this is a memo that, that really had the, the, the announcement of this policy. And, uh, and her quote is here, it's essentially law enforcement across the Department of Justice adhere to a single set of standards when it comes to chokeholds. So, and that would include the, the, the carotid restraints and the no-knock uh, warrants as well as part of that, that statement. So I think they're trying to set a single standard of, you know, what, what is allowed, what is not allowed. And, and you know, these are it's a policy statement. It's the Department of Justice. They do this stuff all the time. They, this is our policy. Federal government, you find written policies for and guidelines for all their actions in the agencies. All right. So this stuff is, you know, this, this is the way they do business. Um, and they say that they have a, that's just why I love this quote. As members of law enforcement, we have a shared obligation to lead by example in a way that engenders the trust and confidence of the communities we serve. So I guess this is supposed to, um, this policy change uh, creates some sort of trust in the Department of Justice. I, I, I can see right now the, the need for them trying to uh, encourage that trust in the public because I don't know if they've uh, earned our trust uh, recently. So this is a, a you know an attempt at, at repairing some damage to the reputation of the agency. And as we look at the the bigger picture, uh, the the work that you do, I assume you're most often dealing with uh, state's attorney here in, in Illinois in terms of who the prosecutor might be or local jurisdictions. Here we're talking today about the U.S. Department of Justice, um, and this might be a kind of a big, broad question, but do you, do you see continuity from, from federal down to state in terms of guidelines and rulings and how things are handled, or does there tend to be a lot of uh, differences and maybe disconnects between the two as, as you see it from your point of view? Between the federal and local, well, the 800-pound gorilla in the room is the federal government. And if they dictate some sort of policy, and later on, let's say you're a local police officer, and your policy for your state is something different. You could be in Chicago, and there may be a different policy regarding this exact use of chokeholds when they're authorized. Well, you could end up using one uh, a chokehold, and something bad could go wrong, and you find yourself 
on the opposite end of this federal policy, and next thing you know, you're being sued under some kind of 1983 action for police brutality. You know, this this sort of standard being out there may impact your case. So it's like I said, they, they it, this is one of those things that when they announce a policy, they, they expect others to, to come in line with them, um, including state and local. Well, we um, certainly have a lot of things that uh, we have covered in that regard. And, uh, uh, James, always appreciate the time you take a uh, good view on things that we've talked about today. And um, I just want to make sure that people understand the opportunity to get uh, past podcasts and send us topics as well. You can get all the information at LaBelleLaw.com, things you'd like to hear about. be happy to cover them for you on an edition of Liberty and Law. And uh, I ask that you take a little time, listen to some of the past discussions, and uh, share some information, thoughts with us, and plenty of articles, other information, LaBelleLaw.com. So thanks to Attorney James Dore of Laval Law for being here. Uh, this is Jim Mitchell. We look forward to a conversation next month on Liberty and the Law.